What's up, everybody? This is Sam with Rowdy Alternative, and tonight we're talking to uh, Clayton Mann. How are you, man? Good, brother. What's going on with you? Not much, dude. Just uh, hanging out. Kind of uh, off to a rough start this morning. We lost Toby Keith. That sucked. Dude, I I woke up and I saw it on Instagram, and I was kind of shocked. I knew he was, like, battling that cancer and stuff, but I was kind of, a, like, I was upset because I that's what I grew up on. Yeah. Like, the Unleashed record when I was five years old and like six, seven years old, my parents had that CD and we listened to that CD all the time. Yeah, man. It was hard for like, I'm 25. It was hard for us to really not know who Toby Keith was. Like, I mean, like he was everywhere. You couldn't really avoid him, but like, it was all such good music. I'm glad we got to experience it. I wish I would have gotten to see him live. I heard his concerts were always pretty lit, but he was kind of, I mean, it's early to lose somebody from the early, 2000s era i mean i'm shocked i mean willie nelson has outlived him and it's just it's weird how it all works out like that but he did leave a great batch of music behind he was just so darn good yeah like his songwriting like i i didn't really get to i didn't really i haven't dove into his stuff in forever until like you know i've always listened to him but today i went back and like really looked at it and that's some like top-notch songwriting from just a fan point of view like, I don't know how you think of it, but, like, that's some of the, like, his wordplay and the way he puts a song together is crazy. I like his songs because, I mean, the lyrics were not only good, but they were they were all pretty easy to understand. Like, there's nothing yeah. confusing about a Toby Keith song. And in the world of songwriting, we love turn of phrases and, and you know, making a song real Hemingway or whatever they call it. But it's like... There's nothing I don't understand about Toby Keith music, which is the kind of music I like. I want to be able to understand what's going on in the song. Yeah, like it could be deep without it being hard to understand. You're exactly right. Yeah, and I love the story. He wrote, should have been a cowboy while sitting on a toilet in a hotel room in like half an hour. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was on a hunting trip. And his buddy was like, I should have been a cowboy. And what I, from what I, it was probably on another podcast where I heard it from. And he just sat, and his buddy fell asleep in the hotel room, so he went in the bathroom, and he just started, bet you never heard, and he said, like, yeah, like half an hour later, and it was kind of his biggest, I mean, that was his biggest hit, but the one that got him really going. Yeah, oh, for sure, man, but uh, yeah, rest in peace, Toby Keith, that was, you know, I felt like I had to bring that up from- Oh, yeah, I, think, I mean- Yeah. But, um, so yeah, let's dive into it, dude, uh, so you're- uh, are you, you're not from Nashville, are you? No, I grew up uh, 30 miles outside Chicago in a little suburb. In little, uh, I guess not so little, there's like 30,000 people, but um, I moved to Nashville when I was 18, but I grew up it, just in the Chicagoland area, as they like to call it. So uh, what got you, um, what got you into just uh, playing music? Was it like, like, what was, what got you started doing that? We grew up in a household that was full of rock and roll like Queen and Billy Joel and Skinner and the Alabama band and Toby Keith and Brooks of Dunn, Carrie Underwood. That was kind of what was going on in our household. And my brother actually started taking guitar lessons and we had started a band together, yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden it's like, well, my, my older brother's playing guitar. Now I got to play guitar. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how it went for me. And I was, I, I was like 11 or 12 when I started playing. Okay, so well, uh, what? Uh, when did you uh, want to take that step to like, like make it a career, like take it serious enough to go down that path? So we were in a band together, and we were playing shows in the Chicagoland area together, and 
you know, we were playing bars, we we're playing rock and roll, blah, 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 doing that kind of stuff. And that sort of fizzled out. So then I had a vocal coach at the time who had a, a wedding event party band. He was doing birthday parties and weddings and corporate events, holiday parties. Um, so when I was like 16, I think it was 15 or 16, um, and the band, my brothers fizzled out. Um, he's like, well, you want to play guitar in our band? And I was like, sure, why not? And then, uh, you know, I started working at the golf course like four days a week and music was still very big. So I was, my parents were like, well, should we do homeschooling? And I'm like, sure, why not? So I was like, I started doing homeschooling and I was in a wedding band, you know, kind of going on the road here and there working at the golf course. And then, you know, fast forward two, three years, the, the college conversation comes up and I'm like, yeah. what the, I don't have any interest in construction <laughs> management or accounting or insurance. And the only thing I had was uh, music and golf. So we boiled it down. I'm either going to go get my certificate and teach golf. Or I'm going to keep playing music. And my parents were like, well, why don't you drive to Nashville? So I had this old van at the time. like a, uh, It was a 1993 GMC 3500 van. So we got me a hotel for the week, blah, blah, blah. And I just drive down to Nashville. And I had Googled the rounds and stuff like that. And I drove back. And I'm like, I'll get, I'm going to move to Nashville. I'm not going to college. Screw that. Yeah. So was that like... Because I like to ask artists who are like currently uh, playing in Nashville now. It's like, because that just seems super intimidating. Like that's a huge step to take, especially if you're banking your, your, you know, your growing career on it. So like, yeah. what was there a certain thing that got you like 100% committed? Like this is what I'm doing. Did it take a while to finally decide to move there? Or how'd that work out for you? I had made that first trip in. Oh my gosh, it was probably February of 2018. And and I think I had lined it up with like some events that were going on in town and um, or like NSAI events. So I was able to meet, I met a handful of writers and I had gone to the writers round I could get into. I was only 18 at the time and I had picked up some rights and I got the phone numbers and I'm like, I guess I got to go back to Nashville. So then like four to six weeks later, I drove back down to Nashville and I got some more rights. And then four to six weeks later, I moved down to Nashville and I got some more rights. And then it was like, then the conversation, because all my friends are going off to college, senior years ending. I'm still homeschooled, but they're all, we're all graduating, blah, blah, blah. And we just kind of had the conversation and it's, my parents are go-getters and they're, they wanted me to go do this. I wanted to go play music because I fell in love with it even more when I got here. It was so lively and it still is. They were like, well, let's just move you to Nashville. So we found an apartment and. And uh, three days after I graduated, uh, mom packed me up, drove me down, dropped me off, helped me set up my room, and she was gone. And I woke up in Nashville all by myself, and it was a figure-it-out moment. You say three days after you graduated? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You didn't even get to enjoy the summer or no no party. Well, I'm sure you enjoyed it. You didn't get to go to any, like, after, you know, senior year parties, none of that shit. That's crazy. No, I was, I mean, I was like, man, I'd rather go down because, I mean, think about it. Nashville just doesn't sleep. So it was like, my, you know, my main goal the first year in town from what I had heard from people is they're like, go out and get right. So that's what I did. I was out six nights a week with my friend Joy Beth Taylor. You know, because she didn't have a publishing deal at the time. And so she was doing the same grind I was. And, you know, we were just out there and we were meeting friends, my buddy Manning and Alex. We're just meeting all these people. And that was yeah. the first year. It was like, go out, 
meet people, stay out too late, write a song, <laughs> go out, play around, meet people, go get lunch, go get a coffee, blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was scary. It was the first year was really hard. It was really lonely. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm 500 miles from home. I don't really have a solo career. I've never been a solo artist in my life. I'd only right. written like four songs before I moved to Nashville. And it was definitely very scary. But the, the plan was I wanted to play music. So it was like, where can we go play music? Nashville. So that's, it was very like, all right, we're doing this. And that was kind of the beginning of what it was. It was like, just go down there and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that's, I guess in, in that line of work, you kind of have to do that. You have to just kind of dive in with your eyes closed and hope, you know, hope like work your ass off uh, and just keep, you know, keep doing that. And it's, I want to hit back on what you said about like, cause you said you were 18 when you got there. And I was talking to uh, a while back now to a uh, Gracie York and she was mm -hmm. talking about uh, when she was playing around, I think it was at the live Oak with, for uh, Ray's rowdy. I, I, it's been a while, but she said like, cause she was, I think, 18 19 too and like she was having trouble getting in that just because of her age and eventually you know she got in and everything but being that young uh and playing these rounds uh i guess that could be an issue would that be an issue your age or like do you, is it just something you just straighten out and say listen i'm you know i'm supposed to be here play gigs or were you limited the stuff you could do to get your writing and your songs out there just not being 21 yet well it was I did have a fake ID, but I, I knew <laughs> I knew the fake ID had a limitation because the way it happened is, is I made friends with some of these bouncers mm -hmm. and, you know, through just hanging out, the bouncers found out I was too young. Now, none of these bouncers work. They're all doing other things now. So all these bars in Nashville, if you're worried about your bouncers doing this, it's not them. I swear to God. <laughs> um, but they we had kind of cut this deal in a sense because they knew I wanted to play rounds where they would go, OK. We'll just, we won't put a stupid X on your hand. Just walk in. And I, I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't buy a drink. Right. So I'd play my round and I'd hang out, but I wouldn't like be buying shots or buying beers or anything. Okay. So that was kind of how I got it to work is I, now I never got into like the Red Door Saloon. I was never able to get in there or even um, a whiskey jam. Mm -hmm. um, the bouncers there were, they were very, very smart guys with those little scanners. <laughs> but some of the other ones, I could kind of work my way in. And I was able to meet writers as well. You know, when people will go, oh, hey, there's a writer's round at eight, but we're going to this apartment at 630, just hang out. I would go to that. Or mm -hmm. if I got invited to a brunch on Sunday and there's 20 people at it, I would go to that as well. I kind of, the first few years really for me, it was like, just go fall into place and dive in and be yourself. And, and the people that, they're going to stick to you. They're just going to stick to you. Now I wasn't thinking exactly like that at the time, but looking back, I think I was just kind of subconsciously doing that. Cause I was just like, yes, 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 yes. Which led down a few roads that weren't probably good for me. I, you know, mm -hmm. maybe I met people I shouldn't have met, but yeah. over time, all that kind of works itself out. Right. So then doing that and like networking, like as soon as you move down there and meeting up with all these people, um, did you find that, would you say you felt you gelled pretty immediately in that scene or like, did it take uh, like a while to really get your feet on the ground and get going? Uh, I'd, I'd say it took me a while personally, because when I got to Nashville, I was like, oh yeah, people playing bands, people write songs this way, blah, blah, blah. 
and I didn't fully understand the concept yet because I had I had been in bands and I had fronted bands, but Clayton Mann had never had to be Clayton Mann, the solo act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I had to write songs, and I but I didn't know how I wanted to write songs. So yeah. I didn't exactly know how to play an acoustic show by myself. Mm-hmm. And so it did take me a few years to really sort of turn a corner and go like, okay, I'm starting to get this. Now I was fronting bands on Broadway. I was playing writer's rounds. I was playing hotel gigs. I was going on the road. And even though that was all going well, there was still a lot of figuring out of how I wanted to do it. Because the first, you know, especially when we went on the road and we go play in Chicago and Virginia and Florida and blah, blah, blah. I was just taking set lists from guys I had met downtown and just copy pasting. And then over Mm -hmm. time I was like, well, shit, I don't even like this song. Why am I playing it? Um, But it took me a while to kind of wake up into that. I was sort of stuck in this. Oh, this is working for them. I'm going to go do it. And then Mm -hmm. over time I was like, well, this doesn't exactly feel like me. Yeah. So that yeah. it did take me a few years to go like, oh, I don't need to do what they're doing. I need to do what I want to do because that's what artists do anyway. So I think a lot of it was an age thing. At 18, 19, 20, I had no clue what was going on. The you know, I was just like, I can't believe I'm here and doing this. So it definitely took me a few years to like kind of pull the parachute and go like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Let me think about this. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and I hope this isn't a broad, too broad of a question. But what, how would you just when you found that sound that you want to do and you want to play, uh, like, like how would you describe it? Because like I was lis- I was listening to your stuff, and like there's like a rock edge to it. You got the country mm-hmm. stuff. Like, how would you describe it? Like, as the person who actually makes it, I would say I describe it. It sounds cliche, but it just as. The where where I have a different angle, I guess, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, is when you start playing music at a young age and you learn uh, Metallica, Brooks and Dunn, and uh, Frank Sinatra music, and Dean Martin music, and Billy Joel music, is I don't just pick up a guitar and just start strumming. It's to me the music has to feed what's going on in the song, um, mm-hmm. and that's something I'm still trying to learn and still try to how to evoke that. So for me. And we had we just cut a seven song EP about a month ago that we're we're working on that's going to be out this summer. Is when I first got to Nashville, I was just writing songs the Nashville way, um, which is okay. I still do that sometimes, but through time and as I've written more, is is for me personally, is I need the music to also address the lyrics and the melody and all that at hand. So if there's a day where I'm feeling more rock and roll, there's going to be a rock song. If there's yeah. a day where I'm feeling bluesy, there's going to be a blues song. So I try to just let my work be like, this is just Clayton Mann and what he's feeling. And it should just be real and it should have energy to it. And I like, luckily I can look through my catalog now and I go, okay, a lot of these songs, they are real life. I can relate to every song. Every song yeah. comes from a place that from what I had been through and from what I was feeling. And to me, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting too. Cause like whenever like, because people say like a lot, oh, I just write what I feel. It's like, okay, but like, I guess if you explain it that way, like you have to, there's, it's like, there's a science to it. You have, you like, you want to make the lyrics, obviously, you know, that you like, you, you write the lyrics to, you know, what you're feeling, but you also have to transfer it to like the musical aspect, the instrumental aspect. And like that, and I feel like that's a really, 
like like that should be that's like, that might be the key to like making it your own sound because like if someone like they're put in like the country scene or like like you know how mm-hmm. people are like you know plopped into a genre like oh you're a country artist like even though like sometimes like it's happening in texas like that's all rock and roll going on right now and yeah. like and it, it, that's just super interesting uh it's like the genre bending the lines of the genre thing and it's basically non-existent anymore, man. If you like really look into it, like with all these different regions, Nashville, Texas, Oklahoma, it's like people are playing what they want to play. And like, they know how to craft it to make like, Oh, if I listen to a song, like, okay, this is Clayton, man, this is Co Wetzel. This is like, you know who it is when you listen to it. And like, I think that takes, does that, and you kind of hit on earlier, but like that had to have been like a hard thing to, like perfect i guess instead of just like going by the script like okay i gotta make a country song like did you ever find yourself in that kind of pickle like just not really knowing what your sound will be i think it's definitely changed through time as you start working with different writers and producers and your influences change i i think the sound where i'm at the sound with the ep is is another step forward Mm -hmm. it's more of a of a live direction i wanted to go in um, but I definitely think that I'm comfortable with the sound now. I, I was happy with where the sound was before. And I think every time you release music, your sound is going to change. You know, even like Eric Church. I, I don't know if yeah. you're an Eric Church fan. Yeah. But if you go listen to Chief, it's it's not the same as Mr. Misunderstood. Right. You know, which yeah. I think is really cool. Like you said, I think artists should be able to do whatever they want. Yeah. And progress like progression. I think like just, and I'm not, I'm not an artist, but like what the way I look at it is like, if, if people get dogged on all the time, all these musicians, no matter how big or small you are, it's like, Oh, that, that don't sound like, like, I don't like the new sound. I don't like, you mm-hmm. know, if people love the new stuff, people hate the new stuff, vice versa. And it's like, I think progression is what shows what a great artist is. Sure. Like if you find the formula that you, are kill like ACDC people say all the time all oh, their yeah. songs are all the same fair enough they do sound alike but like that's their that's them like eight no one else could sound like ACDC so oh, but, I, if you sell 100 million records I'm not gonna dog on anybody <laughs> for doing that <laughs> exactly man yeah but like and, and, and it's just and it's cool to see the other side of the coin when an artist could make uh he could make a psychedelic record then he could make a blues record and then like and it just sound just as quality as the last. Um, so yeah. And that's really cool to see like uh, a lot of people in Nashville are doing now. And, um, and speaking of Nashville, I meant to ask earlier, uh, do you feel like, cause I'm not, I don't raise reality's based in Nashville, but I live in Cincinnati and I cover mm-hmm. a lot of like the rock stuff and the Texas stuff. So I don't get to see Nashville like face to face very often. So do you feel like as someone who is in the scene, is it, more of like a cutthroat like doggy dog or is it more of like camaraderie family kind of deal like do you find yourself like seeing it more as a competition or more as like we're all rooting for each other i see it as uh like a a brotherly competition because at the end of the day well we're all artists Mm -hmm. and i'm just going to speak from the artist realm um because i i don't run rounds um, I'm, I'm not a pure songwriter. I'm an entertainer artist as well. It's 
there is, we're artists, so we are inherently narcissist. We're doing, I'm not saying we're douchebags about it, but <laughs> we're doing something. We're doing a career that says, look at me. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of it is, look at me, I have something to give you. Because yep. that's what fans want. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they need music, they need shows, they need entertainers, they need singers, they need guitar players. It's like, should Eddie Van Halen said, I'm never going to pick up a guitar because Hendrix is a great guitar player. The world doesn't need another guitar player. No, they need another guitar player. Yeah. And I'd say artists always have a certain amount of respect for someone who does something great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're out at a round and you see a good friend of yours play a badass song, you're like, damn, that's a good song. And then you're like, damn, I wish I would have wrote it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you're not envious. You don't want to steal a song from them. Um, but you're like, gosh, that's so good. I wish I could do that. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like artists are inherently like that where they go, that's awesome. I respect it. I wish I could have done it. And it's not tearing the other person down, but it's like, y- we should be respecting great songs because that just compels us to, you know, write better songs as well. I think as long as you're in the right headspace, you can feed off the other people in this town that are doing great things. Yeah, for sure. And, and it, hitting off that then, and like I said before, like I, I don't see Nashville as often. I know more of like the Texas stuff. And over there with the rock boom that's going on, mm-hmm. I feel like, and like, you know, I majority of it, I, I love it. You know, I'm not knocking anyone at all. But like, I, I think that like sometimes it could get diluted because everyone wants to have that Cause it's like a grungy rock sound that a lot of people are going for and it's all good, but it's like, we're, we're getting back to that space to where like it, a lot of it's starting to sound like, you know, it's like, try something new, like make, you know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just starting to all sound like kind of like, I don't want to use a wrong word for it. I hope you know what I'm getting at. It's just like starting to sound the same, I guess. And no, um, I, I think. I think that def- and that even happens on on a writer level here uh, level here in Nashville where someone starts popping off and everyone goes let's write songs like them or yeah. a song pops off on the radio all of a sudden you hear 30 demos that sound like what's happening on the radio so I think there's always this line of like what are you chasing what are mm-hmm. you getting at who do you want to care um, yeah I think that's just a, a such a common theme like even in the eighties, cause I listened to a bunch of the old stuff. It's like when oh, yeah. the synthesizer was invented, everybody started using the synthesizer. New wave. <laughs> New wave, you know? So I think that's just a thing in music where it's like when Frank Sinatra got big, then Dean Martin got big and then Nat King Cole got big. And it's like this sort of thing in music where it's like someone builds the roots and then all the other branches happen, but they're never going to be as good as the roots. You know, right. it's just like, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's unavoidable. And like, and there's also that, like you mentioned the radio, there is that business aspect to it too. I mean, you do it to make money, you know, like you do it for the art, but you also do it to make money. And in Nashville, just with it being like such a huge town for music, is that, do you think that gets in the way too much of the artistry or is it pretty bound, whether it be from personal experience or just what you see, or does it, is it usually easy to balance that out? Or is it just, is the business side of it, like, it, it does it get overwhelming? I think where the business side gets in the way is is, is you turn in a song and they, they want to change three words, like, it's going to change the whole darn thing. Okay. It's it's like, if you, if you take one spice out of the pasta sauce, it's really not going to change the pasta sauce that much. It seems like an, an overkill sort of moment. So I think there's always that balance as, as an artist and a writer. And as an entertainer of like, what are the people going to like? 
because at the end of the day, the, the people matter the most, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the people want, that's what matters. But it's also like, I still want to make stuff I love. I don't want to be just a, a sellout and do what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, the cream always does rise to the top. It just works mm -hmm. like that. But we have to remember, I always think from playing these shows, the audience is like, uh, they're like, it's like feeding babies. Yeah. Because a baby doesn't know what it, what it likes. Mm -hmm. But if you give it a food, they either spit it out or they love it. Right. So yeah, every time I good... get on stage, I'm like, you have to, they're either going to like it or they're not. Mm hmm because they don't know the guitar tone, why it was written. They don't know what microphone you're using. They don't care about your uh, guitar pedal. They don't give a shit about your amp. They don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't need to care. That's not why they're there. Right? They're babies. They're going to spit it yeah. out or they're going to chew on it. It's that simple. I think all artists should remember that. It's like there's there's two types of music. They either love it or they don't. It's good or it's bad. <laughs> it's just that simple. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I never thought of it that way, but um mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, man. Um but I wanted to go back. You were talking about uh you, you you kept dropping the word entertainer and I wanted to bring that up again because here's why I went back and I first saw you on TikTok, uh, oh. which I do not like TikTok. I'm new to it. I, I don't hate it. I just I'm new yeah. to it. Still figuring it out, getting the algorithm down or whatever. You got to scroll past the dancing girls and all that shit that they have on it. Yeah. But um, and then I got to yours about I think it was like you were playing Skinner about waking up with the alarm clock and, and stuff like that. I'm like, OK, cool. And I like dove more into you. I was listening to some uh, interviews, past interviews that you've done. And you like, you are an entertainer. I looked on your Instagram and like, cause that it just kind of, it, that piqued my interest because like, you know, your live show, at least from what I saw on like the videos and, and stuff like that, like you seem to really pride yourself calling yourself that. And it shows cause like you, the crowd's like amped up, you're electrifying on stage with your group. Is that something that you like consciously have in your mind? Like, I don't want to come out here and just play these songs. I need, I want to entertain the audience. Is that something that's lost on a lot of musicians nowadays? I, I think it depends on the, on the artist. For me, being on stage was the reason I moved to Nashville. I wanted to, I still want to just perform for, for people. That's my, I hope my writing feeds the performance, all my artistry feeds the performance and, I, on stage, I always, because I'm an outlandish, I'm an extroverted guy. Sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. I do things <laughs> I shouldn't do. And, but on stage, I'm allowed to fully put down the gas pedal. And there's nothing disrespectful about it. And, and because growing up, I would stay up late at night and I would watch a whole Queen concert, you know, mm -hmm. a whole two hours of, and I would look at Freddie but I wouldn't just look at Freddie. I would go, where's Freddie going? What's Freddie doing? Why is it working? And I would kind of analyze these concerts. And I would watch ACDC. And I'd watch KISS concerts, GNR concerts, Billy Joel. And I'd just stay up and I'd stay up and I'd watch, watch, watch. And I'd go, what are they doing and why is it working? And and that's what I want to do is I you can be this outlandish guy because I get to fully feed that. And I always pride myself as entertainer because ever since I moved to town, I've never played the uh, – a venue just once mm -hmm. we've played every venue at least twice that we've ever been that we've ever emailed or we've um, had email us. And okay. that's something that's hard for me to express because we're in a songwriter's town. I love songs. I love songwriting. But to me, when you go to a concert and it's good, it's just magic. Yeah. And even though we're playing majority cover sets 
and we're doing three hour shows. It's just like people always go, well, why do you work out? It's like, well, because I want energy to mm -hmm. put on a badass three hour show. I don't want to be good the first two hours and start dogging out the last hour. Yeah. So I try, even though I'm not playing shows five days a week, is, is I go, well, if I have a show in six weeks, I just I need to be ready for it. So the set list gets built a month before and you stay working out so you're ready and the outfits are ready two weeks before and the guitars are packed a week before because it's like, for me, I know I'm not the best songwriter in Nashville. I can play the piano, I can play the guitar, I can write lyrics, blah, blah, blah. The stage come first and then everything else comes second. Yeah. And I think it's important to know what you're really good at and what you love and what you can work on. I know I need to work harder as a songwriter than I do as an entertainer. But I love entertaining so much, I keep working and entertain entertaining. So I mean, if that's what your passion is, I mean, you can't really knock that, you know? Yeah. But yeah. That's, and that's always been my thing of like, just put me on. The boy just wants to play. That's yeah. <laughs> that's the main motto. No, that's awesome. And, and that's very, you know, because like a lot of people, a lot of artists are like, like they always automatically put songwriting first. You know what I mean? And like, they're not yeah. honest with themselves. Like, and that's really cool to hear. And dude, like, cause I, I was thinking a lot about that too. And like, like you said, you mentioned uh, like queen GNR and like, I think right away, complete other <laughs> complete 180. But I think like limp biscuit, you watch those dudes jump around stage and just oh, like dude. engage the crowd. It's like, what, like, can you give me like an example? Like what, what do you like? when you plan out, I guess, like you were talking about like where Freddie would go on stage. Um, like what, what kind of like movements on stage or like, like things you physically do on stage or how you engage your crowd. Can you like, give me like examples of like what you like think of in the moment to like make this show like the best you can. Cause like people say like, Oh, I just want to put on a good show. But like, what does that entail? For me, it's in this, like, like diving on YouTube and reading some books on it is so, you know, before every show they dim the lights, blah, blah, blah. What is the audience thinking? Mm. They're, they're hungry, but this time they're not like babies listening to music. They're sharks and they want to eat. Yeah. They've spent all week sitting at their job. All the girls put on a pretty outfit. The guys are trying to get phone numbers. Everyone's running a bar tab. They're yeah. hungry sharks. So you think you can't walk up there and go like, Hey, how you doing? No, you need to give them a one, two to the jaw and go, here I am, let's go. And that's kind of where we start the show is we just go pop. And then mm -hmm. you, you can start it here and then you can bring it down. But I always go, if I've spent three or four songs behind the microphone, okay, what, what about the left side of the room? What about the right side of the room? What about the back side of the room? Yeah. So I try to think about the room and these things and I go, have I forgot about them? Okay, if I have, let's go do this. Have I forgot about them? Let's go do this. Because if you spend, you can't, you can't spend the whole show just staring at the three blondes right in front of you. You can't <laughs> yeah. do that. It's like, because people aren't stupid, even though they're out having a good time. They're like, well, what the hell? He doesn't care about me. Yeah. You have to point at the guy in the back of the room because he bumps his buddy and says he pointed at me. So <laughs> you didn't get one. You got two or three doing that. Yeah. And you have, you have to be, because I think all of us, especially now in a society where everyone, we're all encouraged to be ourselves, but, um, and we're all judged upon more for being ourselves even more, which is hilarious. So yeah, <laughs> if if you go up there, and it might sound cheesy, but if you go out there and act purely yourself, I think people connect with that and go, wow, this guy 
is doing exactly what he wants. And I believe they can feel that. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's it's you have to pour that emotion out because it's like this loop. If you pour it out, they give it back and then and then the ball just rolls. And it took me a lot of I played downtown a bunch, which is kind of frowned upon in Nashville to be an artist and play on Broadway. But it's like those first few years I was playing downtown, that guy who's the entertainer now, he wasn't like that back then. He didn't exactly Mm -hmm. know what was going on. Yeah. So what what are some what are some uh, venues you play that you have like the biggest pop at when it comes to like your live show? Are there any that come to mind? I would say our biggest one right now, we play a place called The Farm, just north of you in Cleveland. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, we sold that out on New Year's Eve, and we played there, I think, three year, for three years now, you know, throughout the year. And we have a pretty, you know, a fan base of, you know, when are you coming back? We want to see you. That's and, awesome, man. And you start, and you go out in Nashville, and other bands start going, man, we heard about your show at The Farm, blah, blah, blah. And to me, that's like, that's mission accomplished. And, and, you know, right now I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not selling out the garden. I, I don't have a hit on the radio or anything like that. Um, and songwriters say, Hey, I mean, I heard your song. It's badass. Well, to me, if someone goes, I heard about your show, that's badass. That's like, all right, that's enough wind in my sails to keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. And that has to be like the most, like, like you said, mission accomplished, like knowing that someone from uh, back in town heard about a show three state, two States away. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, th- that has to be nuts. And, and, and like, that's just, that's just not, that's just, you probably couldn't like explain that feeling. Just like, no, like just no matter who it is, like heard about your show. It's like, that's like say someone saying like, Oh, I, I heard your uh, episode with Clayton Mann, like some stranger. It's like, I, that's all I could equate it to yeah. for me to understand. But yeah, that's, that's sweet, man. Um, but let's talk about um, – you, you mentioned you had an EP coming out. Yeah, so I hadn't put music out for a bit. I had gone – I wasn't happy with my uh, writing, and I said, screw it. I'm just going to write an EP by myself. And yeah. So October, November happened, and I had kind of stopped going out in Nashville, and I kind of just took ideas, and I started writing. And over the course of a few months – I go, okay, I got, I got six songs here that I really like that are, that are forward from where I was at. I don't, they're not the end goal, but they felt like a really solid step forward out into the world. So all of a sudden you talk to a friend, a friend of a friend, you do a coffee meeting, you have one more meeting, you cut work tapes, and then you have a full day booked at um, Sound Emporium down by Belmont. Yeah, right. Um, and I wanted to do it different this time because in the past it had been okay here's the work tape now we do drums go home now we do guitars go home now we do bass go home this was we have a live band in the studio and we're gonna put it all together and we're just gonna knock it all down right here we actually got seven done in one day so i I took a a co-write i'd sitting around the song i wanted to put out and i did it in a sense of i didn't know exactly what i wanted out of every song i knew i was working with some of the best musicians in the world here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, what I've always wanted to do is go like, okay, here's this song. Here's the vibe. Imagine you're doing this. Imagine you're here. Give the guitar this tone. The drum should be doing this. And the amazing part about these studio musicians is, is you say that and then they take it to a whole nother level. Yeah, sure. And I, I wanted to do this because I not only wanted to put more music out, but I wanted to showcase 
some different sounds. There's blues elements, there's rock elements, mm-hmm. there's country elements, there's even jazz elements. Nice. Um, I didn't want to get locked into one idea. I, I felt like to turn a corner as a writer, I wanted to put all this music out, go back and listen to it and go, okay, how do we take this? And if this is working, go that way. If this isn't working, don't go that way. Um, if it doesn't work at all, find something else. So for me, it was more like as an artist, you have to keep driving content out in the world or else you don't really learn from it. Cause I've only learned from my songs once I put them out. Cause some songs I put out, I was like, why the hell did I put that out? Um, so, <laughs> you know, for me, it was like, I just, I just wanted to give something more in my sense of what I wanted to do and, and hopefully it works. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, man. And with the content thing, like that isn't only like nowadays, like that isn't only like music, like you put out, like it, uh, like the TikTok thing, like I mentioned, that's how I found you. I'm like, is that something that you like really? Because a lot of musicians is either their way into it or they're like, yeah, fuck TikTok. Like, are you like, how much of that do you like take into like, we got to like drive the socials, the TikTok stuff? Was that, is that something that like you like always thinking about, always wanting to put more stuff into? I think this year, uh, more than ever for me, I am working harder on social media because, um, Oh my gosh, that's a that's a great question because it's such a loaded question too. That was good. <laughs> you should save that question for future podcasts. That was great. We'll um, do. <laughs> I think it's like finding the way you want to do it, which is the way I am. I'm like, okay, how do I? I don't want to just put up me singing, uh, you know, wagon wheel on on the internet. Yeah, right. Um, so I think this year I am putting out more, but more of just who I am mm-hmm. and. You know, like that one on TikTok of the Freebird one. I was just in my living room and I that just popped in my head. You could wake up with a girlfriend or you could wake up and play Freebird. So I whipped out that Explorer, <laughs> which is actually in the shop right now. And I just started doing, yeah. it just started ripping it out. And it's like, I was like, yeah, that's me. That's me. And yeah. they liked it. So I'm still trying to find more ideas like that. But there's always this idea that social media is stealing the truth and all that. And I, for me, I just, it's a marketing tool. It's mm-hmm. the way we consume people had, people had the radio, then they had the papers and then they had vinyls and then they had iPods and CDs and blah, blah, blah. And right now we're at a time where God bless America. You can literally get famous overnight off of TikTok. Um, so I still practice my guitar and my piano every day, but man, I need to get better at social media because it seems to be working for a few people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And like whether, you know, and it, you know, it does suck because, like, I'm terrible with technology. I must have missed the boat with my generation. But, like, it's like, but you know, that it, you're right. It's a marketing tool. And, like, you said, like, the biggest artist today, like, I think I want to say Zach Bryan, he started popping off on it might have been TikTok or like, and Warren Zeters and all them guys. Yeah. And, like, yeah. And, real quick, I know that there's this one guy, Mitchell Ferguson. Uh, he, he plays out in Texas and he, does like skits on TikTok and like he does like like thought out like like he puts like real time into it and he ended up like getting a whole separate fan base because he played like he like went live and played like this game on Switch and like he like a whole separate fan base like the same size as the one for his music so it's pretty gnarly how that shit could work out and uh but yeah it, it does stink if we're not good at social media because it's hard to figure out <laughs> it's it's a whole different ball game and it's it used to be you came to nashville and and you could play your guitar and you had a voice and you could write songs and now it's like 
well, you know, now you just have to grind on something else. And I think it's like, and I have these conversations with, you know, I have friends that have 5,000 followers like me, and I have friends that have um, half a million followers. Mm-hmm. And the amazing part is, is the people at half a million get as frustrated as us at five to 10,000. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's, you have to view your life as a, as a brand. And I'm still building my brand because it's the last year and a half it's undergone like an, an overhaul for me. Mm-hmm. So I think is social media, the end all be all no, but is it, a, it's an important part of the music business, yeah. which, you know, that feels like I'm like pouring salt down my throat and I'm choking on it, but it's <laughs> like, um, you know, it is, it is a thing. And, yeah. and even now all the, the, um, artists who are dead, their estates are putting all their videos on there too, keeping them alive. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah. So it's how, how we're going to get, like, yeah. How many more like Mac Miller unreleased songs are we going to be getting? Or like all these guys that have, like you said, been dead and they're going to put like phone call, like answering machine recordings out. Like it's crazy. Like, yeah. I mean, like if they made an AI Frank Sinatra concert, I'd oh. probably buy a ticket. I'm not going to lie. I'd Dude, some of some of that shit's pretty pretty cool. Like they had like Frank Sinatra singing like "Life Is a Highway," and I listened to the oh, entire dude, I song. Love those. Yeah, I love. It's those. amazing. <laughs> or the Johnny Cash one where he's singing the Barbie song. That one yeah, was my. Favorite. I saw that one. Yeah, that one was nuts. But uh, yeah, it, but it's uh, a whole world. Yeah, it is. Um, it's going to be our world coming up in a few years, I think. Unfortunately, but we'll have to adapt to it, I guess. But um, oh, did uh, you see those Apple Vision Pros that came out? Uh, they look scary. They look scary, man. Like that's what I thought. Yeah, like someone was at like I don't know, like the Lakers or the Celtics game, and he was like standing there, like with them on, like a fan. It wasn't even a player. It was like right on the edge of the hardwood, just like taking shots with like an invisible basketball. It's creepy, but you know, that's if that's what we're dealing with. My house with one of those on. I'm just telling them to go. Yeah, leave it at the door, and then you can come leave back. it at the door. Don't like have a conversation with me with your freaking future your, AI vision your, ski goggles on, buddy. Your Daft like, Punk no. helmet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now you said that they're gonna make that. I know. They're gonna make like an attachment. It's gonna be like Halo. I yeah. get the Halo one, maybe. Oh yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Darth yeah. Vader, maybe. But um. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, but hey, uh, man, thanks for hopping on. Uh, what about shows? You got any like shows coming up you want to talk about? Um, we're going up that we're going down to St. Petersburg, Florida, March 22nd, 23rd, and then possibly Chicago the month after. But until then, you can find me on TikTok at Clayton Man Music, where you can get a taste of me almost every day. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get a taste of Clayton, everyone. But uh, <laughs> Hey, I like that. Yeah. But uh, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you hopping on. This was really fun. Uh, everyone check out Clayton. You can find him on wherever you find music, all the socials, everything. Um, and uh, also, while you're at it, check out Ray's Rowdy and Rowdy Alternative on our website, on the socials. You'll you'll find it on there. Give it a Google. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you all.